Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. Continuing our series on metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Again, if you don't have a Bible... We would love to give you one free of charge. Just let Tyler know after service and uh, we'll give you one before you leave. Okay? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and uh, read those verses together once again. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Awesome. Thank you. We have been focused since the beginning of the year on this this thing we call transformation, this truth. We're to be transformed which is metamorphosis, which is going from a caterpillar to a butterfly, right? We've put that slide up there in all the different stages. And the, the, the root of that is that God calls us to be godly and holy, not just good and happy, right? When you put your faith in Jesus, you begin a lifetime on this planet of what we call progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, Right? Conformed to the image of Jesus, glorifying him, honoring him. But it is to be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. And it's supposed to be literal change. Supernatural change. When the Bible says you're a new creation, it means you've never existed before. Right? And we spent, wow, four months trying to understand and, and, and make real these incredible supernatural, miraculous truths about us in Christ. I mean, we, you've ne- if you're in Christ, you've never existed before in the you in Christ. Because the you in Christ has who indwelling you? The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. You have the mind of Christ, right? In, the, uh, in your notes there, right, that we've been asking ourselves the last several questions, the last several weeks, what are you doing with what you've been given what are you doing? Really, the last few weeks, many of you were like, well, what have I been given? And we had the backpack in here, and we said, hey, let's open up the spiritual backpack. What did God pack for your journey? And we've been pulling things out. It's right there. We have the mind of Christ. Supernaturally, you can understand spiritual truth. Supernaturally. Don't, don't minimize that. You have the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling where? Okay. We talked in 2 Timothy 1.6, you've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. And I want to say thank you to those who responded and came up via email or, or text or conversation and said, Hey, you know what? Can you help me find my gift? The Bible says I've been given one and I'm supposed to use it. And you said that you would help me find it, you three. I'm over here. Thank you doing that we've had wonderful conversations with you uh we've been given gifts if you're a believer you have a gift and first peter says you're supposed to use it for whose benefit god's church god's church okay so the invitation stands if if you are sitting here as a believer going hmm i have a gift honey i have a gift and you don't know what it is and you're not using it by all means talk to us because God put you in either this church, if this is your church, or a church for a reason. You are to be a contributor. Whatever church you plug into, you need to understand you go as a contributor to that body. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit because the church in America is very consumer driven. Well, how is that church going to meet my needs? How's the children's program? How's the music? How's the preacher? And, and, and as long as a church meets your criteria as a consumer, 
I'll stay. And I might even give. But, as soon as, as a consumer, that church no longer meets my consumer-driven needs, it's time to go. Versus, hey, and, and we've had a great talk. We had a great talk last year with people who were praying about this church. And they came to us on the front end, and it was a great discussion about if this God were to call them here, what God may call them to do here. On the front end. Right? I shared with you before the challenges. You guys come, not you guys, but uh, metaphorically, people come. And we just ask you to sit and get comfortable and enjoy yourself and go have donuts and coffee. And then about two months, no, not even two months, two years. About two years later. Hey, this is Pastor Richie. Honey, it's the telemarketer guy again. He wants us to serve. Let it go. Tell him we're not here. Like two years into this, suddenly pastors and ministry leaders are seen as telemarketers when we, when we put out the call to serve. When really, that was the call from God on the front end to every believer in his church. Right? So we've all been given that. That's in the backpack. Can't ignore it. You can't return it to the store. <laughs> Right? Oh, let's return that one. No, it's in there to be used, right? And then we've seen 2 Timothy 1.7. We've been given power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind. Woo! If you're a believer, you've been given dunamis. What is that power equated to biblically? We've been given the same power that God used to what? Raise Christ from the dead. That ought to light your fire. You got dunamis power in you as a believer. What in your life requires dunamis power? Well, you, everything, but what in your life really requires dunamis power? Because basically, in our comfortable, affluent culture, honestly, many of us probably don't need resurrection power daily. Because we don't understand the supernatural calling. We just don't understand it. We're content that Christianity means we're good moral people. And I don't need God's resurrection power to be a good moral person because I was a good moral person before I became a believer. Right? You've been given dunamis power. You've been given agape love. Not worldly love. That's storge. That's natural affection. Right? Non-believers today... Are, it's a great demonstration of what they call storge love, natural affection, familial love. Okay, that's just human love, right? That's even love to a, a owner, to a pet. That's natural love. When the Bible says you're given a, agape love, that is supernatural love. That love. What in your life is requiring supernatural love? Well, I don't really need it. Because I've been a Christian long enough to hang out with people that I like. They might get on my nerves a little bit. Turn to the person next to you and smile. Right? But does it really require agape, Holy Spirit-inspired, dunamis love? What in your life requires you to say, Lord, I need that kind of love to love that person. Right? All of these are just opportunities to be transformed. Because when we put up the slide and say, hey, how many of you want to go from caterpillar to butterfly? Everybody goes, boop, me. And then you get an opportunity to demonstrate agape love to somebody. Oh, he doesn't really mean that. He gets you right to the edge of being able to take a step of faith in newness. It's a privilege. It's a privileged opportunity. He gives you the choice. I'm good. Whew. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to be honest with you. and You know my heart because I just want you to love Jesus passionately. Please, as a Christian, do not use the word pray about it as a cop-out. The Bible is real clear in a lot of areas. There's nothing left to pray about. Just do what you know you're supposed to do. I'm not discounting prayer, but I know after 25 years of ministry... People use prayer as a cop-out. Well, God says, 
do this. Let me pray about that, Pastor. What's there to pray about? It says it right here. You might ask God for supernatural dunamis power. You might ask God for, for agape love. But there's nothing left to pray about as in I'm going to decide if that's for me. Please do not use prayer as a cop-out for disobedience. That's a real dangerous place to be, guys. Because you know what comes next? Rewriting the whole thing. You start rewriting the whole thing and now there's no hell and now Jesus isn't Messiah and now you can do whatever you want because suddenly you elevate yourself to the authority. You've got to be super careful about that. What starts in one little area becomes two little areas, becomes three little areas, and next thing you know, you're, you're deciding what you think God wants you to do because all you're doing, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. You've been praying about this for 15 years. Maybe God wants you to do what he already says you're supposed to do and you'll take one little step or a huge step in that continuum. But that's scary. Yeah. But I don't know how that's going to play out. Yeah. But I might look silly. Oh, yeah. That's the point. That is the point. The caterpillar to become a butterfly has to change. You to become like Jesus, Christ-like, have to change. Right? How many of you... Now you're all guarded, because every time I raise your hand, I'm like, oh, he always sets us up. It's a setup. You've been warned. How many of you want something to change in your life? If you want something to change in your life, change something. I'll say it again. If you want something to change in your life, move along this, change something. I really want to be more like Jesus. I'm going to pray about it. No, change something. Just change something. Take that step and get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the past habits. Get out of the past and change something And based on who you are in Christ as you sit here today. Because as you sit here today, the Bible says you have dunamis power, you have agape love, you have a sound mind. That's about, I mean, for me, I can take a little step based on those three truths. If you want something to change, if you want something to change, change something in the power of who you are in Christ. But the choice is, it's your choice. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. You already have it. It's all in your backpack, right? So then the question is, look, look in your outline there. So if we've been given, given everything... Why doesn't my life reflect what I've been given? All that list, right? You've been given it all. Well, then why doesn't my life reflect it? You ever wonder that? Why is it that I always feel like I'm on God's JV team, waiting to be called up to the varsity? Because, you know, it's the people in the first three rows. They're the varsity. They're the teacher's pet. That's why they sit in the front. I'm going to sit in the back. I'm a back row, right? I'm a back row, right? It's also kind of cool, too. Just, just, just popped in my head. It's kind of neat, too. i just let you know. People, when they visit us, they start in the back. And, and some, not everyone, but some, they start to move forward. It's kind of cool. Some stay right where they are. But I get you, Dale. We're good. We're good. Because I know, I know you're here, really. You're sitting there, but your heart is here. I know you, Dale. I know you, right? So... Why is it, right? You've been given everything. I used this illustration last, last Sunday, and I know it resonated with many of you, right? If you go to the circus, you see these big old full-grown elephants, depending on the breed, 6,000 to 13,000 pounds. They got a little rope tied around one foot and a, to a little a wooden stake. And the elephant's just like... Just chilling out. Big old full-grown elephant. 
little rope, wooden stake. Like, why doesn't that elephant bail? Why doesn't that elephant just take off? Because when that elephant was a baby, they put something around his leg that was strong enough to restrain him and even wound him and cut into his leg. And every time little baby elephant tried to pull away, it got ouch. It got ouch. Ah! Over time, little baby elephant taught himself, believed, I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck. I'm restrained. I'm shackled. Now, full-grown elephant believes the exact same thing. Full-grown elephant can go, boop. I've seen videos. Elephants going cray-cray, right? Moving cars with their truck, trunks, right? Just, you can't do anything. When a full-grown elephant wants to do something, it'll pick up a toss things. But this elephant learned, was trained, and is still stuck. Because it's not appropriating who he is as a full-grown elephant. And a lot of believers, I say, Bible says, you've been given power, love, sound mind, everything you need for life and godliness. The third person of the Trinity indwells you, and yet you're still shackled to the past. What's shackling you to your past? What keeps you from being all that God wants you to be in Christ? Why aren't we just leaving here going, Woo, hey, oh, hi, here I am. Take it or not, I don't care. <laughs> you know, how come we just don't leave here free in Christ? Right? Remember Paul says to Timothy, hey, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Many of us, we hear this, we get lit up in church, we leave here and we walk out the door and that spirit of fear, what? Right? And we walk around the, the valley like, oh, don't say anything. Don't be too charismatic. Don't be too, right? Don't be too enthusiastic about Jesus. All these fears and everything comes in and we're oppressed and we're like, uh, uh, uh. where is that coming from? What's shackling you from just launching out with Jesus? Getting out of the boat. Don't you just wish sometimes you would just launch out? Right? You're, you're like, oh. And all your life, people told you what to do. People told you what to think. People said you're never going to be good enough. Never, never, never. Just go sit there and be quiet. Here's a little box and stay in your little box. Don't speak unless spoken to. Right? And all of a sudden you come to church and they're like, I didn't know I had that. I got power. I got a godly love. I got a sound mind. I got everything for life and godliness. At a certain point, you have to choose to believe it. And when you believe it, woo, your world's going to go crazy in the best way possible. In the best way possible. You might end up standing at the door greeting people. You might end up on the keyboard. Right? Or the drums. You might end up doing things in the power of Christ that in your mind you never would have dreamed possible. That's the glorious truth. It doesn't matter how old you are. I don't find retirement in the Bible. He's not done. He's not done with you. What's shackling you, right? And I ask this question in your notes. Right there it says, why doesn't my life reflect what I've been given? Why doesn't my life reflect what I've been given? Honest question. Maybe many of us have it, right? And I kind of give you some, some bullet points. So you don't have to turn to this one. First Peter 2, 2 says this, Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Okay, so maybe, maybe you've been stuck. You've been, you know, where you are for so long because you just didn't know. And that's okay. That's okay. It's a process. We mature. And sometimes we just didn't know. How many of you just didn't know all of this was given to you? Honestly. This is like, kind of like, whoa, whoa. Okay. That's fine. So now you know. Now we've got to do something about it, right? And then choices. Turn to Colossians, verse 3. 
This was the memory verse from last month. We're doing the memory verses. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Apostle Paul is talking to the Christians in a place called Colossae. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Remember in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says we are transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. 2 Timothy 1, 7, we've been given a sound mind, self-discipline. Colossians 3, verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In your notes there, I put, what does that word mind mean? It's not just intellect. It says there, the basic orientation, bent, thought patterns of the mind. Your affection, some, some versions say set your affection, right? Disposition. It's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a habitual choice. It is a pattern of life. Question. If you were honest, if you kept a mind log, okay, if you kept a mind log, what was your mind set on this week as the general pattern, as your bent, as your disposition, as your affections? Think back this week, what dominated your mind? What was your mind set on? This past week. Because this verse is very simple, very clear. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. Why is that important? Because we're renewed by the transformation. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. What did you set your mind on? Primarily. This past week. And if you are honest... See how it played out in your life, your priorities, your attitudes, your, your emotions were pretty directly related to whatever you were focused on in your mind. So what was your mindset for most of this week? If you were honest, right? It's very powerful. Be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've been given a sound mind. Set your mind. Right? What was it set on? And look at this in your, in your thing. There's three mindsets that negatively impact transformation. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 6. Let's look at the Israelites. Way back when they were in Egypt, way back when they were in Egypt, God appeared to who? Moses. And it says, Moses, right, if you saw any of the movies, you know, go set my people free, all of that. So in Exodus, Exodus, God has met with Moses and he calls Aaron to help. And then they go and they talk to the Israelites for the first time. So let's look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 29. This is the first time that Moses and Aaron go tell the Israelites, woohoo! Good news! We've been enslaved for 430 years. God appeared to me, Moses. He brought Aaron alongside. Great news! We're leaving. Okay, this is this is the context. Look at Exodus 4:29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down in worship. Oh, can you imagine? 400 plus years, Moses and Aaron show up, do miraculous signs to confirm God's prophecy, God's truth. And the Israelites, they bow down in worship. Oh, whoo. Yes. Yes. We're leaving. He's heard us. Go to Exodus 6. Now, what happens is that Moses, after this, in, Mo- in Exodus 5, Moses 
goes to talk to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. You know the story, right? What does Pharaoh, how does he respond? He says, hey, all you uh, overseers of the brick building, take away the straw. The Israelites now have to go find their own straw and still produce as many bricks, right? So here's, here's, here's the crazy thing. Exodus 4.31, oh, let's praise, praise God, we're going to be delivered. Exodus 5, things get worse. Their lives got worse because of a promise from God. Circumstances went south. Woo! Promise of God. Circumstances go south because Pharaoh's not happy. And look what happens to them. Look at Exodus 6. Let's start. Let's start in verse 6. Exodus 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is God repeating his promise. This is God through Moses repeating it to them. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Woo! Is that how they responded? Ooh, one more verse. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. What? Wow! Don't miss that. An initial promise comes. They bow down and worship. They're lit. Yeah! Their circumstances go into a tailspin. Life gets worse. Harder. Moses is sent by God again to repeat God's words to them of deliverance, of possession of promised land, of freedom coming out. And in verse 9, look what it says. They did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. What's the lesson? There's a profound lesson for those of us who choose to focus on circumstances. Many of us have been enduring things and wondering things and going through trials. And that's been your mindset. That's what you have set your mind on to the point you don't even hear God. You don't hear Him. It's words on a page, but you don't hear Him. You don't receive it. Because why? Look at their discouragement and cruel bondage. How many of you are so discouraged right now by what's going on, you don't even hear God's truth anymore? It doesn't penetrate. You've got to make a mindset change. If you want something to change, change something. Application. Change what you're focusing on in your mind. Change what you're focusing on. The Israelites... They tanked because the circumstances changed to the point where Moses goes back and look at those incredible verses from 6 through 8 from God himself. And they didn't even hear it. It's like Charlie Brown. Wah-wah, 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 wah-wah. And they took the sermon note and went home. But because they were focused on discouragement, they were focused on circumstance, they didn't receive it. They didn't live according to God's truth. So what are you focusing on? Right? Circumstance. And then look at this. Turn to Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel. And we learned something else about the Israelites while they were in captivity. Right? Turn to Ezekiel. I know that's uh, one we haven't looked at. 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. How many of you finding that? You're like, man, my pages here are new. I've never been to Ezekiel. They're still stuck together, right? Ezekiel 20. This is God speaking about the condition of his people in Egypt. So we saw that they were discouraged and that affected their willingness to hear. Let's look at what else was going on. Ezekiel 20, starting in verse 5. Let's start there. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hand to the descendants of the house of Jacob and revealed myself to them in Egypt. With uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them. Everyone say swore. Okay, very powerful word. Very powerful word. I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. And I said to them, each of you, get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Wah! Again! God comes with this incredible promise. I swear, I found a land just for you. It's flowing. This is everything you need. This is going to bless you. This is Canaan, the promised land. All you got to do is forsake all that stuff that you got into, all your idols and all the religions of Egypt. Just forsake them and come launch out with me because I got something to bless you. Look at verse 7 and 8. And I said to them, each of you, get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols. They were so caught up in their idols. They were so caught up in the culture of Egypt. They didn't hear God. Wah-wah. 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 So... In Exodus, their ears and their heart were stopped because of discouragement and circumstances. In this one, they got a lot of competing stuff going on. They got a lot of, there's probably some comfort in Egypt. There's a lot of stuff happening in Egypt. And God says, I got something better. Promised land, Canaan, milk, honey. All you got to do is forsake that. The idols, give it up. Come follow me. What is competing in your life? What is competing in your life for giving God everything? What is competing? Because Scripture is pretty clear, right? Let's look at some, some Scriptures. Let's go to um, James 4.4. 4. James 4.4. 4. I'm going to do some bouncing around in the New Testament. Hebrews, James, right? James 4.4. 4. James 4.4. 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15. Alright, let's go to 1 John. Keep going right. 1 John 2.15 and 17. Through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6? Hey, you can't serve God in money. You're going to love one or hate the other. What's competing for your affection? What competes 
Matthew 10, pretty powerful verse, 37 to 39, Jesus says, hey, you've got to love me more than your mother, your father, your husband, wife, your kids. Jesus is supposed to take preeminence over any earthly relationship. Does he? What is competing for your priorities and mine? And if you're wondering what is, go back to what you set your mind on. That'll show you. They say, hey, you know what? You can always tell someone's priorities. Look at their bank book and how they use their time. That'll pretty much reveal someone's priorities. What com- what's competing? God said to the Israelites, man, I have a promised land for you flowing with milk and honey. I searched it out myself. Leave all that stuff. Leave the, the idols of Egypt. Just come with me. Receive what I have searched out for you, what I want to give you. Everyone say, want to give you. God wants to give you it. He doesn't want to ruin your life. Now, some of you laugh at that, but some of you really, I think, believe God wants to ruin your life. We don't want to ruin your life. God, does, God doesn't. He has a purpose and plan for you. He wants abundant life. Jesus said, I came to give you life in it abundantly. The devil will twist that in your head and say, oh, you can't do that. that that's too much. Oh, no, 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 no. He, you, know, you can't do that. You've you got to give up everything. Jesus wants to be number one. What's he talking about? What's, that, what's all that about? Don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to ruin your life. Oh, no, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. In fact, it says super abundant. God says to the Israelites, hey, I have a plan for you, a super abundant land for you. Give all this idolatry up. He wasn't trying to ruin their life. He was trying to set them free. Amen? He's not trying to ruin your life. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And he says, give it all to me. Give it all to me. Stop being friends with the world. Love me more than any human relationship. Question, what is competing for your affections? What is competing for your affections? Right? And these are, these are like gut-level stuff. I get that. We're going we're gonna to even spend time, come back next week, because this stuff is like, whoa, are you kidding me? Because here's the thing, guys, uh, and, I, and take this the right way, the church in America has really adopted the American dream and a lot of the American value system. And we've, we Christianized it and spiritualized it. And so a lot of us are pursuing life, liberty, and happiness above godliness and holiness. And it's so ingrained, and I've been so challenged with this, that I've had to reevaluate my whole priority list and why I do what I do. Why do you really want to start a church? Is that just the Christian equivalent of a lawyer? See, I left law school to be called into the pastorate. So now that I'm a senior pastor, is that the Christian version of a secular attorney? See, I still arrived. I still arrived, right? I can still feel good about myself because the American dream says, well, you can't just be a youth pastor. You've got to go from youth pastor to associate pastor to senior pastor. There's a corporate ladder in the church, isn't there? Believe me, I'm speaking to you as much as God has just challenged me and said, ripped me open and said, why do you do what you do, man? Why are you doing this? How much of this is me and how much of it is just trying to be faithful? How many of it is just trying to be faithful? And, you know, we spent three months at the end of last year trying to understand and believe that God is good and all the time, even when it looks like he's going to ruin your life, Diana. Because he's got a plan. He's got a Canaan for you. He's got a promised land. He's good. Just, Diana, let it go. Give it to me, Diana. Give it to me, Diana. Come on, give it to me. Right? He does. And he lovingly disciplines us by saying, Hey, are you focused more on your circumstances than me? And then he disciplines us again. Hey, uh, what's competing for your affections? What idols are in your life? What are you really pursuing other than me? What are your priorities? That's all in love, guys. He all says it in love. Because he loves you and he wants you. He does. He 
just wants all of you. That's why, he, that's why he does this. He wants you. He wants you to say, yeah, take me. Right? Take me. And then finally, we're just going to touch base on this consumerism. Turn to Exodus 20. Let's go back to Exodus 20. We're going to introduce this, and then we're going to pick it up next week. Exodus 20. I'm sorry. Wait, don't do that. Go to Ezekiel. Don't do that. Yeah, go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 20. Yeah, there's pages that you just unstuck. Go back to them. All right. Yeah. Ezekiel 20. You can correct that in your notes. Sorry about that. Actually, it's in your notes. All right. Ezekiel 20, verse 9. So in verse 8, right, he says, hey, they didn't listen to me. They had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake that, right? They said, ah, man, they rebelled. They didn't hear me. Look at at, uh, Exodus 20, Ezekiel 20, verse 9. Ezekiel 20, verse 9. But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nation. They lived among and in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites by bringing them out of Egypt, right? Verse 8, but they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations. So the basis of God's behavior to the Israelites was for what? The sake of his own name. See, God chose to do things and not do things with his people for the sake of his own name. The challenge for us, how much of my life is lived for me and how much of my life is lived for him and his name. It's the difference, you hear me say, being a getter or a giver. How many of you and me come to church, have gone to church to get something versus give something? How many of us in our, in our Christianity were raised in the church and said, Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, and look what you're going to get. Anyone? I'm not even talking health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm just talking do this, do this, do this, do this, and you're going to reap the benefit because Christianity is designed to meet your needs. God loves you, which he does. God has a plan for you, which he does. But the problem is when we misinterpret that, we think that Christianity is all about me. It's all about No, say it like me because we're all here. So we're raised because everything is all about you and you and you and you. How many of you have ever raised a child and desired to give them everything and it suddenly backfired and they have this attitude around the house that it's all about in the church because we love you so much, we inadvertently can create that. God loves you. God has a plan for you. Do this, do this, do this. And inadvertently, we're trying to point you to him, to surrender your life to him. And suddenly Diana twists it and says, church is all about. Is it? This is where a lot of us are stuck. And this is where a lot of us get into selective obedience and disobedience. Because church is all about me. Circumstances, feelings, duh, duh, duh. And when the church doesn't meet my needs, I'm going to go and find another church that is all about me. Turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. We're just going to look at a few verses, then we're going to pray. Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light 
shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? Praise who? Praise your Father in heaven. See, you and I are supposed to be in metamorphosis. You and I are supposed to be even more like Jesus so that who gets the praise? God! God! Not me. Not you. We honor God, even when it's uncomfortable. We obey Scripture, even when you think it's impossible. Because in the obedience, who gets the glory? God! We say that, to God be the glory, but do we live that? Do we live that? To glorify God means to have His character manifested in my life. So when we obey supernaturally commands that in the flesh are impossible, who gets the glory? God. It's about God. Our mindset. I challenge you this week. Ask yourself, has your Christianity been about me? Or is your Christianity to be about, you know what, God? It's just God. Only God could do this. Because if you start desiring to pray and ask God to lead you in ways in your life to glorify Him, He's going to give you plenty of opportunity. And He's going to give you opportunities that are going to take you so far out of your comfort zone that when you obey, you're going to go, wasn't me. No way it was me. Because in the flesh, no way, Jose. The only way I did that, the only way I obeyed that command was strictly God through me. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Even as a church. Romans 5, 15, 5 and 6, we're going to look at it. The Apostle Paul prays for the church in Rome that the church would glorify God. This church is not about me. This church is not about the music. This church is not about buildings. This church is one solid forever, ever, ever will be about the glory of God. People need to come here and sit and go, man, that's what God's about. That's how worship, that's how Christians worship. That's how we love scripture. We love scripture. This church is not going to be prideful because we love scripture. We love scripture because it glorifies God. Do you see the difference? Churches get prideful because of their distinctives. Churches get prideful because of their traditions. Churches get prideful because of their facilities. No. Everything in a church is meant to glorify God. And the minute that this church stops that being our primary, we're lost. Then it's about glorifying man. Then it's about facilities. Then it's about programming. No. Everything this church does will forever be to glorify Him. That's our distinctive. That's our distinctive. Even our sold-out commitment to the Word of God is because it glorifies Him. It fits under that purpose. And He says, hey, whether you eat or drink, you do all to the glory of God. If we will each individually purpose in our heart to live every area of our life to the glory of God, when we gather corporately, woo! It's a gathering. Amen? Let's pray together. Robert, you can come up. Father, thank you that the church and thank you that our relationship with you is not about me. It's about you and you alone. And Father, we come before you now. And if we have been setting our minds on circumstances, we ask you to forgive us. If we have been so focused on circumstances that we don't even hear you and your incredible promise, we confess that this morning. Father, if we have not turned away from the idols, the gods of this culture, and there are things more important than you, there are things we value more, there are things we love more, We confess that. And Father, this morning, if our Christianity has really been about me, if we have been consumers, if we have been focused on what I'm going to get versus just straight up, it's about glorifying you. May my life manifest the character of God. 
Lord, if we've been consumers, we confess this as well. And then, you, Lord, you, you call us to repentance, which is a change of mind. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can choose to focus on you and your truth and not circumstances. We can choose to turn away from the idols of the culture. We can choose to glorify you and not just be consumers. That's repentance. It's a turn. We can change what we set our minds on. So, Father, this morning we're just open books. We love you. We know you have a plan. You're not here to ruin our lives. Jesus, you said you came to give us super abundant lives. By faith, we believe that. So, Father, as we leave, fill us with your joy, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Spirit, the self-discipline of the Spirit, the freedom to be who we are in Christ, to leave here with the passion to glorify you as the number one purpose in our life. If you're here this morning and God has spoken to your heart, we're going to have Bill and someone up here and Diana and Linda, they're going to be available in the front to pray with you. If God has touched your heart and you need someone to pray with you about your mindset, by all means, please come forward when we dismiss. And they would love, love, love to pray with you and for you to help you take the next step of obedience that would give God the glory in your life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time this morning. And now as we leave, would you lead us and guide us the rest of this day? And would you be glorified in every area of our life? And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Invite you over to the fellowship hall. Ladies, we have flowers at each door for you. And uh, happy Mother's Day.